Friday afternoon deploy. Do you remember when Java meant coffee and Corona meant beer? intro sent to us by one of our patrons in australia thanks tony yeah so so this is my my money background with just the bill stacking up i like that but alan you haven't seen my favorite one yet um let's see it i don't know why it just it just gets to me this the board meeting and the ceo comes in and shakes hands in the background <laughs> it's too good uh for our audience who's just tuning in and hearing the uh, Arkansas and Missouri Railroad drive by my window. Um, I, I went uh, shopping on Pexels.com uh, stock videos for using a Zoom backgrounds, and I've got some really good ones. That's going to keep distracting me. I'm going to see that guy walk in and shake hands every time. Um, so I got some good, you know, so people can accuse me of not social distancing. See, I really like that one. Yeah. <laughs> it's subtle, right? Yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it looks like I'm podcasting from a very fancy startup office. Just some people blurred out in the background working. How's everybody doing? Not terrible. Not bad. <laughs> not, not bad. Anyone's not bad. We uh, all right, all right, all right. There you go. Channel your mud. <laughs> yeah. Uh, have you heard? <laughs> have you guys heard that um, the the phase one unsocial distancing plan was announced today for the state By of eight. Arkansas? Was, that was it for Arkansas? I believe so. That's, that's, I haven't I haven't seen his press conference today. I've been watching those uh, pretty regularly. Oh, oh Asa Asa's yeah. conference. I haven't seen either. Mm-hmm. This is this is secondhand information that that Paige delivered to me just a minute ago. So you're hearing it here first for the people on it, and for everyone else, this is a week behind. So you yeah. you already know whether or not I'm right or wrong. Um, but yeah, last I heard was May the fourth. So mm. you know, May the fourth be mm-hmm. with us and. Uh, potentially, yeah, Pete, you can. Pete's supposed to be May the second, I think. That's right. So. And then after that, you can go eat at a restaurant as long as you stay six feet away from people. I wish that wasn't May the fourth because it's just mm. like yeah, it's yeah. It's gonna May the fifth. May the fifth forever May the fifth. taint May the fourth for us. May the fourth. Hey, we got Evan Matiza with us as well. What's up, Evan? Hey, how's Evan, Evan's a local guy. You've been <coughs> listening to the podcast for a little while, I think. Yeah. Um, and he heard us. He heard our episode on um, functional programming. Um, yep. However many weeks ago that was, and I, I'm assuming because he sent us an email and said like, "Hey, if you if you want anyone to come on and talk functional programming," which I interpreted as if you want someone who knows what the fuck they're talking about <laughs> to come on and talk <laughs> functional programming, I'm willing to do it. So he's here um, to educate us. And I told Austin uh, that you were coming. He couldn't make it for the show today. Um, oh. But I but I told him that uh, you guys could head to head. We'll we'll facilitate like a sort of rap battle. You guys can trade um, <laughs> trade so, tracks. So, here's the thing, though. What gets me about Austin? Austin seems like a really structured guy. He seems like a guy who's like he would take his time and design something out. And really care about interfaces. And so I don't I don't think we disagree. I think you've I, described Austin well. I I don't I, disagree with your description of him. 
Yeah, he yeah. seems that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just picking on you, Austin. Just picking on you a little bit because you're not here. That's, that's what happens. Uh, I as, pick as on Blake you well, here, As though. Blake well knows, when you don't show up, and we haven't seen him in a long time, um, you get shit on this show. Uh, so... So I th- I wanted to talk we wanted to talk about it more obviously uh, we yeah. can talk about other things too I'm sure it'll come up but um, well, I, I wanted the, to get your yeah. take um, all, on that episode maybe you remember better than I do exactly what we said I I just know that we were, were around the table and we were all just like yeah I mean there's some merits but none of us could conclusively say like oh I I think we talked a lot about like I can't imagine like building UI based web applications and just wanting to do that purely functional is where we ended up. How, how, and just even take that further. How about doing it without ever opening Chrome and looking at what you're building? Right. I mean, yeah. What? That's a thing. You can do that. There, there can be blind people that code applications and functional programming languages. Somebody's got to make them compilers. That's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, exactly. So I can write interpreted programming languages. <laughs> that YAML isn't going to author itself. I mean, you know. Tyrell uh, just turned his video off, but I saw him. I saw him putting an Oculus Quest on in the background. It's just oh, like, good. We're going to have Green Man. He's only 15% soon. committed to the podcast today, folks. <laughs> <laughs> I intend to have a special guest soon. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> he's just playing he's playing beat saber in the background <laughs> no but all right so evan you have you've done some yeah. functional programming you yeah. have some experience yeah. in it um out of curiosity what languages what applications have you messed uh yeah with it? elm haskell and rust okay Absolutely. he had yeah. that in the chamber he was ready to go yeah, yeah. those are the best from what i understand <laughs> yeah, right now yeah i mean that's that's where it's at i and best I mean, yeah um, best is always objective. Yeah. Well, by best, I mean yeah. coolest, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> Far less objective. Most important metric of all, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I'll say, I'll say there's, some, there's been some recent drama in Elm recently. Um, there's actually a core jingle. Don't you offer. besmudge Elm. Wait, Don't you come wait, tell me, drama. tell me about Elm drama because I, yeah. I love dev community drama there, there more than go. any other kind I, of drama. So, Mr. Luke Plant is a core Django developer. Um, he worked in the Elm community for a little while, worked on porting Mozilla's Fluent internationalization plugins into Elm so that Elm applications could benefit from, you know, dealing with the difference between the word color and color in British English versus U.S. English, right? Mm-hmm. Those kinds of things. and. He, he has a really long blog post. I, I won't go over it. It's here. called it's Why I'm Leaving Elm. Is that the one? Yeah. I just you, found you, it. You, you have mm. to take it with a grain of salt. I mean, it is someone's obviously personal opinion. They're probably a little bit aggrieved at how they maybe have been treated or have had a personal interaction with someone. So there's. Is this, is this as hot as like Zed Shaw's Rails as a Ghetto? Like, have you guys read that? Evan, are you, are you familiar Ooh. with that? No. <laughs> oh, no, it's pretty. It's pretty long form, though. Um, oh, it's pretty it's long Zed. form. I mean, I know yeah, Zed's yeah. takes on yeah. things, but mm. yeah, he comes in hot, and he basically compares 
Rails developers to failed PHP developers. Okay, you know what? Which is what I was when I started Rails. It's not quite, from what I'm reading so far, it's not quite that hot, but I'm just thumbing through it, and like, there's a section called Leadership Style, and it opens with, the leadership style in Elm is extremely aggressive and authoritarian. So, uh, strong. There's also a discrimination section uh, of this. It's very lengthy. Um, Yeah. Okay. I'll have to check that out. And this that reminds like me. Weekend reading. If you uh, if you if you haven't ever found it, there's a subreddit called Just Unsubbed, and that's what this reminds me of, where people come write a long rant about the subreddit they just unsubscribed from and why. Mm. Um, yeah, kind of a kind of a parting shot across the bow, right? Y- yeah, except it, except it's like not. This is more across the bow. What this this article I'm reading, the Just Unsub thing, is just kind of an echo chamber. So don't subscribe to it. Uh, which is a funny irony because <laughs> if you do subscribe to it, you very quickly want to post in just unsubbed where it's, but it's, it's fun to browse occasionally, but you don't want to yeah. see it all day, every day. Agreed. And, and, you know, like, especially the open source community, a lot of these maintainers and what they deal with, these people aren't being paid. Um, and that, that's what a lot of this comes down to. That's what makes it so painful in a lot of these interactions. And it's just, you know, when you see stuff like that, it's, it taints you a little bit, you know, you're like, well, you know, I derive quite a bit of joy out of this. It works well for me and what I what I want to do. And and then you hear these kinds of stories and you're like, ooh, you know, that's not what I wanted to hear. Wall right. garden controlled by a select group of people sounds a little appley to me. Like I don't I don't know if that's my, my jam. Um, but And I don't yeah, know cool enough about the community to know the accuracy of all that, right? Exactly. Because um, yeah. it also sounds kind of uh conspiracy theory but i'm not suggesting that's necessarily the case but i just mean like you know i think a lot of people feel very strongly that most things are controlled by too many of a select few right it can be applied in a lot of places what i find interesting about it is just that he like he comes right out the gate and says i'm leaving to go to some other language probably buckle script which i've never heard of but i do i'm i'm looking at it now <laughs> yeah so he comes right then- out the the very first line of his post is where he's headed um Buckle script is called a faster, simpler, and more robust take on JavaScript, which sounds like oh, script. Yeah. yeah, it's JavaScript but faster, way less complicated, and extremely powerful. Um, like can't buckle script sounds sounds like a good thing. Or yeah. if it transpiles to JavaScript, yeah, it it's I, all of these are just in the realm of we didn't like what the browser gave us. Let's uh, let's have a safe runtime that we want to write our code in, and hope that the JavaScript that comes out the other side is perfectly. Imagine if if they put that much effort, um, folks that are. <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> I just mean, imagine if they put that much effort into like improving the runtimes that run in a browser. Like, yeah, it'd be like you know, instead of writing JavaScript that enables me to write better JavaScript, <laughs> maybe I'll just go write some C code. And and help improve, you know, web standards. It's just you know, like rage. It's, it's rage yeah. coding each other. <laughs> yeah. Like Pretty revenge much. coding stuff. If well, we haven't already turned off that. JavaScript developers on this show, there's none listening anymore. So I don't even worry about it. <laughs> I don't even worry about turning anyone off. It's, uh, uh, it's can't be done. Yeah, I'll say the the thing that like so you bring that up right. So a targeted runtime with JavaScript, you know. What if the targeted runtime is now WebAssembly? Is kind of the is kind of I think the next thing that people are looking at. And you talked about like 
like write yeah. C and then it compiled to the browser. Yeah, that's same kind of thing. You know, you're seeing some C and C plus plus and Rust writing the WebAssembly, and then folks trying to to work within that WebAssembly virtual machine that the browser is that's a that's a really interesting one. I I probably share Blake's pessimism. He's ex, he's expressed that on the Slack channel about you know there's a lot of hype around WebAssembly, but right. the truth is there's a lot that needs to be done for that to actually gain more traction to be to be usable. I don't. That's that's another place where I don't I don't know enough mm-hmm. about WebAssembly um, to like intimately speak to its limitations. Um, but I can say conceptually, um, how, how much better of a thing that, that potentially sounds like, right. Right. Um, for obvious reasons, right. Um, the ability to have some very low level instruction set that you could write any language and it compile down to, uh, would be sweet. I've been bitching about not being able to write Python for the browser for a long time. And I'm not talking about plotly dash, not that shit. Um, I mean, really write Python, right. Yeah, there, and there's actually some really good efforts there. I know that the folks that are, I think, writing the Python interpreter in Rust are actually working on trying to figure out a way to get that to compile to the runtime that is the Blossom runtime. How have I not heard of that? Is it Rython? Uh, what is Rust? <laughs> I, I think it's just I think it's just for us Python. Yeah, or something like that. Speed Rust up your Python using Rust. Yeah, Rust Python. Oh, they need yeah. to call it Rython or something like that. Yeah, Not like Scython, Scython, and and Python, PyPy. Yeah, come on, Rust developers, you got to be more creative than that. <laughs> You'll never make it in this language. <laughs> you got to get you more don't clever. Have buns with your names. Yeah. That's right. It doesn't have to be like Rails clever, um, and it doesn't have to be like JavaScript obscure. Um, but you do need to put a little more effort in your naming. Uh, is that you, Tyrell? Okay. Let me in the meeting. Yeah, because I see someone in the waiting room with the name Shadow, and I looked up at it and I was like, "Oh fuck, we shouldn't be using Zoom." (laughs) 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 Oh, we got Zoom bombed. All right, come on, do it. Come on, do it. Here come, here come the, here comes the nude pics. (laughs) What am I looking at? This is is it, Tyrell's avatar. That's his it's, backside. It's my avatar standing there. I see it. Hold on. So wait, you're wearing your. Qu- I'm gonna just. I'm gonna paint the picture for the audience. You're wearing. Yeah. You're. You're in a quest right now. I and am. and your avatar has just joined our Zoom chat. Although, he since has. since your avatar is not talking, his his video doesn't pop up. But I can see his. Correct. I'm gonna switch to the gallery view. That's so better. I'm gonna try and make my avatar come to life here. This is very unimportant things. No, this is no, great. This is, perfect, this is experimental. Perfect yes. for our podcast, obviously. That's right. Uh, Th- this is, there's nothing our audience loves more than visual gags that we have to explain to them with words. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the old Tommy radio. <laughs> <laughs> like dis- describing an alien uh, invasion. There it is. You can see there's a man. Uh <laughs> <laughs> He's coming. Just you can there. see it there on the picture. Uh, <laughs> He's wearing black slacks. Yeah, your black slacked avatar is standing there with like his hands on his virtual six shooters, like he's about like, to oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, he's ready to do something. So I see that as well. 
Okay. But I haven't figured out how to become my avatar. Like I'm mm. watching my desktop virtually. It sounds very spiritual. I, yeah. Please. I haven't figured out how to become my avatar. <laughs> Just I did find on that. I did find a conduit to enlightenment. Uh, <laughs> please ignore everything I'm saying until I have something to contribute beyond like Hey guys! No, no, you keep going. This is important. <laughs> yeah, that's good. Yeah. This is important that's work. Important. We have to tell our audience how to do it. I, d- uh, I don't know how to change settings in a Windows environment in Zoom, so I'm like mm-hmm. looking around for the for the like buttons in Zoom in a Windows environment. Mm. That sounds awful. Not sure. Now yeah, Zoom on Windows, that. that you do have a security risk now. It's my own personal hell. It's way worse over there, mm-hmm. from what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. You have to run it from Windows. It's uh it's pretty pretty terrible. Mm-mm. I don't know if I'm gonna stand up a Windows virtual machine to avatar myself into VR Zoom. To, yeah. Wait, but wait, I'll wait. I'll wait. I was gonna Once say, you get it put yeah. together, I might change my mind. I like Quick draw McGall. He hadn't he hadn't shown himself yet. <laughs> Yeah. So Evan, we yep. we had talked about uh, well, Evan and our audience. Uh, we had talked at one point when when we first started uh, remote working, and so we were trying to figure out you know what kind of different policies we were going to have, and also like what tech we were going to use, you know, just things like that. Trying to keep our culture alive, uh, we started looking at different. Uh, Tyrell and I both have a quest, and so we we both started looking at different VR solutions for like whiteboarding and things like that. Ooh, With the intention of yeah. if we found some stuff that really made it work, I was strongly considering buying a quest for everybody, like wow. as part of as part of the if it could work, if oh it could God. work, right? If we could actually, yeah. you know, if we could actually justify it as a business expense because it enabled better remote work. Um, yeah, and that's why you guys you guys have a whole project management process that supports kind of whiteboarding and. Yeah, I mean, you guys—that's the nature of what you do. Not even like supports, right? Almost like requires might be a better way for it. It's been kind of tough. We haven't—we've been fortunate enough um, from a process perspective, although not necessarily fortunate from a new business development perspective, to not do. We have not done a fully remote discovery yet with a new customer. We Mm, sure would like to be doing a discovery with a new customer. But uh, and we'll have to figure that when we cross to it because that is usually very sit in the room whiteboard heavy. I mean, like we right. literally draw out storyboards on paper and tape them to the wall, yeah, um, and oh. and get like get like idea boards built. Um, and so we will have to innovate uh, a way to do that remotely. Um, that doesn't involve that. That can involve shipping a quest out to all of our customers. I've drawn the fucking line. I'm not. <laughs> I'm not buying everyone in America a quest. Okay. Yeah, no, that's just a bad business plan. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> that can be Zuckerberg's business plan. You buy a quest for everybody. Oh, he yeah, can afford here. it. Um, here. He's already sending everyone a little surveillance device with a camera on it. <laughs> at least, at least Google and Amazon and Apple. Uh, we're nice enough to just send one with a microphone, but Facebook's got portal. It's like, no, no, we, we took we our, to we took our <laughs> surveillance device with yeah. a camera on it and we gave it legs so it could walk around your house and follow you. <laughs> follow you. Watch your face. All the yeah. Time. yeah. <laughs> it's good. It just needs to scan your face really quick so it can effectively track you around your home and while you're sleeping. Um, 
Yeah. Yeah. No, we, I, my, my prior job, uh, we had really good experience with, I mean, we were all bought into Microsoft and enterprise, right? So, I mean, we had the, at least the whiteboard app with Microsoft. That was pretty nice. I don't know. I don't know what's open about that. I'm sure there's some open whiteboarding apps that are out there. that are decent. There's yeah. I mean, Slack, Slack almost does now. it, lets you draw on the screen, but it's really it, hard to draw with a mouse. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, if I could bring like uh, kind of like Tyrell with his Zoom setup that he's working on over here, if I could bring another um, like participant to the channel with me that I'm running on a tablet that I could draw on, you know, so I could have my yeah, camera set up yeah, and then yeah. I could independently draw like that, that would be a, a game changer. And we'd yeah. consider getting tablets for everyone. I've um, got a Wycom somewhere that I haven't yeah. used. I just oh, yeah, now yeah, yeah. about that. See, that's the yeah. thing is like, there's, there's specialty hardware that would enable that better. But like at yeah. the end of the day, no matter what, everything that we've tried that's whiteboarding that involves you trying to use an input device like a mouse to whiteboard, just doesn't work because it's really fucking hard to precisely draw with a mouse. So you're not going to get a hundred percent out of your discovery session. You know, potentially no, not with everyone being like, Oh, sorry. Yeah. You can't read that. But you <laughs> so know. imagine use your mind, yeah, you know, and yeah. this is, this is pretend like that's not a squiggly is. line. And that's actually like an autocomplete drop down, uh, on an input field, you know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, it just kind of looks like a, like a child's drawing of a house. <laughs> <laughs> I know it looks like I'm using crayons. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's what every, thing that we've tried for remote whiteboarding does so i don't know maybe we just need to innovate beyond whiteboarding maybe that's the problem that's that's a, that's there's something there i don't know what it there's, is exactly it's, it's, it's that free formness right i mean you just and that's it's physical, that's what we need like geez we need some sort of free form um interface for like remotely like creating like that the ability to like put put things in stacks and move them around and visualize like that. That isn't necessarily something that's more adaptable to a mouse and keyboard than, um, you know, something that you need like to the, the dexterity of a pencil to do. Right. Right. So I don't know what that is. Some sort of virtual board that you can like type onto cards and drag them around and stack them and things like that. Maybe Um, someone's going to figure that out. Someone's gonna figure it out. And we're gonna have this really cool thing, and they're gonna be they're gonna be innovators, and uh, you know they'll be the next unicorn. I see a open source uh, one called. Oh, Alan, you you self muted. You, you <laughs> yeah, there like, we go. That's like what I get for using. Yeah, so the space bar works until apparently you'll until you uh, until you release it. Screen. Yep, it's it's yeah. so, it's okay. Just keep them waiting. They don't need to know. Uh, about this. <laughs> and now I gotta get the URL back. Open board. That's what it is though. That's an open source. Open uh, board? Open board. I'm checking it out. Oh, okay. So Tyrell and I tried something like what he's doing right now where he had avatars. And we were both in VR. We could see each other in there. And then there was a whiteboard that we could move around the space and draw on. But same problem as like trying to draw with a mouse. Um yeah. drawing with a pointer in VR was very inaccurate. Uh, and hard to see. Uh, this is this is like using a tablet. And I was gonna say, have either of y'all had VR? Have you played Half Life Alex yet? No, it doesn't run on the Quest, as far as I know. I have uh, the underpy. I so, we have the so these are the ones that are like. 
they'll make you strap it on the floor. <laughs> it's not, the most. They're not the that most expensive. minimal of VR headsets. Zoom's yes, doing a really okay. bad job of finding. I'm trying to show Evan on camera, but it's yeah, yeah. it's basically an Android phone with lenses on. It's it's nicer than that. Um, it's it's nicer yeah. than like a yeah. the Google cardboard. Um, but it's not a. But it's not like a vibe. Or it's not plugged into a gaming PC, mm-hmm. um, right. so it just can't push those kind of pixels. Uh, but it looks sweet. Um, Alex does. Because uh, I, I was remembering, I was watching a couple streamers actually, and they, uh, I know they were playing with Half Life Alex, and they had like the pins, and they were like writing on, you know, the mirror outside of her window in her little lab, and I was like, that's pretty neat. I, I've seen like wow. the gameplay stuff where like finding yeah. ammo involves like rifing like through a shelf and like moving shit out of the way so you can find a magazine. Yeah, like a a, a weapon magazine behind the actual magazine. So I haven't played it yet. I know you can. You know, I'm I'm still working on it. I'm breaking a sweat to get this thing. <laughs> you got that quest face going. <laughs> you got that oh, ring no, around your face that that you the, get. The, the raccoon ring. Um, <laughs> you can play it through virtual desktop on a PC. I don't own a PC. I've got a Shadow Tech PC, which allows me to like run PC gaming. We talked about this before on a on a virtual machine. So I log into that with my quest. And so like, like a remote, like, like a cloud virtual machine. Yeah. Okay. So it's one of the that's cloud exactly platforms. Right. Yeah. Uh, so it's a cloud, it's a cloud gaming, uh, cloud PC gaming platform that I'm connecting to with my quest, which I'm actually trying to connect to for my zoom meetings. Uh, this is incredible. Which, you know, that, the, the fucking internet right now is just an immaculate Rube Goldberg device of <laughs> just like, just burning through bandwidth to watch it burn, you know, <laughs> I, like um, we have nothing else but computers, so let's see the most ridiculous things we can do with them. Yep. And in this case, I'm trying to VR in to our meeting with a Quest connected to a virtual PC that's running a Zoom meeting that will allow me to like step into that from that PC onto it, my it virtual PC in it. the cloud. That Zoom that that cloud. PC is in a Zoom yeah. meeting and it's somewhere yeah. in Northern Virginia. Um, yeah. if, if we're lucky. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Depends on what quality of service. I tried the um I tried the Nvidia um mm. cloud gaming PC thing just to give it a shot and I could not get it to work well. I don't know if it was under heavy demand at the time. Um and I don't have like the greatest connection back here in, in this back part of my house. Um I'm wired but I'm running over um Oh, what the hell is it called? Like the Ethernet Wi-Fi over power extender? line? No, no, no. Oh, like, yeah. Yeah, power line adapter. Power yeah. line adapter, which is the wow. best I can get unless I want to pull something through the attic. But honestly, the latency, like, internally on the network is incredibly good. Yeah. Uh, I, I was been surprised by it. Um, and the bandwidth is, is substantially greater than Wi-Fi because you don't have – actually, you do have encryption overhead because um, it's encrypted before it goes on the power line and then when it comes off. But – um still uh, Romex is still copper. Just yeah, like, exactly. It's just yeah, like your cat five. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> and uh but but it's still it's enough that like any sort of um any sort of game that requires like a response time, which is all I tried to play with it. Like I tried to play like PUBG online with it. It was like obviously <laughs> the latency of me traveling to a remote machine and then multiplayer gaming made it yeah. uh untenable. Um, I will say that. I get VR uh, through Shadow, which is like the only reason I have this thing because I want to do VR so bad and I've enjoyed it so much. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's, it's worth it. It's a, it's slightly laggy, but right. it's totally worth it. Okay. And there's ways you can optimize it. You just kind of have to 
sacrifice some resolution. And it's just like, you know what? I don't have to see the demons in like 4K. 1080 is fine with me. They're in my face. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I've been comfortable with the lag. I've, I've kind of experienced from, from time to time. I might have to, to do VR. We might have to trade some tips on that because I kind of want to try that out. Yeah. Um, yeah, I'd be glad to. I think that would be that would be pretty fun. Yeah. And, and uh, like um, Google Earth VR works really well through Shadow Tech. Like I, <laughs> my wife came in and she saw I had like the raccoon eyes. She's like, what have you been doing? I was just like, I was just exploring <laughs> the Buffalo River. Yeah. Google Earth. What have you been doing? Don't you judge <laughs> There's That's not a... There's not a Google Earth for Quest for the nope. for the Quest, but there is there's some other third party app that that pulls up Street View, um, oh, and, and it uses Street View data and works pretty similarly. And I was like, well, that's a that's a joke. Um, it's I was like, that's kind of a novelty. It's a paid app. I downloaded <laughs> it just to see it, and then you know they have the return policy on Oculus. If you play it for less than two hours, you can get your money back. Right. And I'll be damned if I didn't burn like three and a half hours and lose my ability to get a refund. Just be like, I'm yeah. in Paris right now. Um, and it's it's actually a really cool way to experience like Street View. Um, yeah. If you've ever like Street Viewed a place that you've been to. <laughs> Like on your computer, you've looked at it before and been like, ah, it doesn't quite capture the depth and scale of it. But the minute you put that in VR, like hills look like hills. They're actually tall. I went back to, I was showing Paige, I was like, you got to see this. Because um, I remember we had looked up on Street View, the place we were staying in Mexico when we went back in February. And it was just like a sheer straight uphill um, to the place. And when we looked at it on Google Maps, we're like, well, everyone on Airbnb complains that it's quite a hike, but it doesn't look that bad. Um, and then I, <laughs> then we got there and we're like, oh, it's literally 200 stairs straight uphill. Um, and put it on in VR. And I was like, oh yeah, that looks like a fucking hill. Uh, when, when it's, when you actually have to look up to see up it. So I was actually really surprised at how cool it was to use something like street view in VR to like check out a place if you're planning to travel to it and actually get a much better feel, um, for, you know what it actually would be like to be there. Yeah. Also found out that street view came by our street quite recently. And if you go, for those of you who know where I live, if you pull up my house in street view, um, Paige, Betty and my son, Henry are all playing in the front yard. Um, Ah, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 with the Google earth, uh, VR, um, because it showed me stuff. So like just practically, um, there's a place called uh, Horseshoe Canyon Ranch uh, out over, over on the Buffalo. And it's a, it's a great place to go. And there's some significance for our family there. We've got some good family memories. We take part in a, a big event there every year in the, uh, in December, which is a, a running event called Mandu. Oh, so, so is that the one love, where you guys run over the mountain yeah, yeah, that's without a map? Yeah. And so we all love, we all love that area. And so I was just like, I'm going to try and look over all the places I've run. Because a man dude in uh, Google Earth VR, and sure enough, was able to do that. And then I was able to look around kind of where we were. And I was like, are you kidding me? There's an airstrip right there. Like you can see it because you're looking obviously down at everything around you in that area. And when you're in a a, like a highly hilly slash mountainous area, you, you have no context for what's around you. You're just like, I go in a valley. Everything disappears. This is where I am. But when you like back out, you're just like, wait, what? All this was around me the whole time? Are you serious? It was really pretty funny. It was, it was a pretty cool 
Um, as you know, like uh, Casey will know, and I think Alan too, the, the guy I go and run this with is a, is also into uh, paragliding. Parasail. Paragliding. Yeah. And so he was like, I'm going to go paragliding. Like, we did that. <laughs> and then, of course, he was like, all right, cool. That was fun. Just ran 20 miles through uh, through the mountains. I'm going to go back to the top of the mountain. <laughs> jump off of it with a parachute. Yeah, exactly right. and, he, and he did that. I was like, I'm going to sit here and drink like five paps while <laughs> sailing through the air. And uh, that's what happened. And, Dude, uh, paragliding looks super cool. Um, I looked into it the other, like recently after talking to, to Steve. Yeah, um, be careful. He'll talk you into it. I know he will. And I'm like half talked really into will. it. He's brought it to up a couple yeah. times and I watched some YouTube videos on it. And then I also looked up um, paramotoring, uh, which is essentially the yeah. same thing where you have like an Everglades, like uh, uh, hoverboat fan oh, on your yeah. back. Yeah, yeah, a big prop on your back. Um, and and holy you around shit, either. that looks cool. Mm-hmm. That looks super cool because you just intense. like yeah you just motor up and and start on flat ground and like I watched a dude um, and they have an incredible height that you can get to it takes a while to climb it but I watched a dude a video the other day where he took it up to fifteen thousand feet and at that point he's like watching the horizon to make sure he doesn't get hit by a fucking airplane <laughs> uh, <laughs> like, it's insane. <laughs> Uh, but super cool, and they're very like acrobatic. Um, mm. So like I don't know. I keep watching it, going like, videos man, out. if I ever if I ever become a rich guy, um, maybe that's what I'll do. I'll strap a I'll strap a box fan to my back and see if I can fly to plane altitude. Um, <laughs> but it looks super fun, and like I said, they're agile enough that like he can take it and land it um, pretty specific places. And so there's a there's one particular guy. Uh, he's kind of a bro, but his YouTube channel has has pretty good content, and uh, his most like popular videos are ones where he's like he paramotors to like the local grocery store to get a gallon of milk, and so <laughs> he like takes like off Boba in the Fett. park across. Yeah, it's like it's as close as he can get to a jetpack. <laughs> yeah, that's amazing. I, well, one thing I wanted to uh, to take advantage of. While um, Evan was here, I was glad he, uh, you were able to come on today, man. Um, now that I'm done trying to screw with getting my avatar into the Zoom meeting, I've given up for the day. <laughs> At some point, we will make this happen. Um, and actually, I hate to be that guy. I've got to pause. I think this is an important call coming in regarding furniture I'm having delivered. But I'll ask this question of Evan when I come back. Sorry. All right. Do your thing. No worries. I'm making a <laughs> mental note of the time on the recorder to scrub. Being very professional about our edits now. Yeah, oh, look at that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's at 34 got minutes. got for it with the quarantine. 34 minutes. All right. Got it. Noted. Uh, we can always edit his question back in. Oh, wait, wait. No, he's back. Oh, never mind. It's, it's way more fun just to leave all this stuff where we talk about editing stuff out. Yeah, <laughs> leave it in. After like how how short after how short of an interruption that was, I think that one's staying in. Oh, I, 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 I wrote that down. I yeah, should. I'll, I'll give context and then I'll go into my conversation with Evan. I got a phone call from a local store because we've renovated our home office. So our, our home office before we were required to have home offices was like a guest room with some space to work in. And I, I kind of went over. I, I mentioned this in the in the uh, virtual meetup we had last night. 
um, it's become more of like an actual home office. And so we've had to kind of formalize all of that. And one step we've taken, we removed the guest bed that was in our guest room slash office. And we've, uh, we're, we've ordered a futon. And oh, uh, we're going to yeah. put that in place instead of a guest bed. And the futon gets delivered tomorrow. That was the futon people calling. They're like, hey, we got your futon. It'll be here. Be home between these hours. <laughs> Where the uh, fuck else am I going to be? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is they like the one like, this is the one time in the history of the world that it's convenient to wait for the cable company yeah. to come by. You could tell they were reading from a script because they were just like, Will you be home and available at this time? It's just like, um yeah, 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 of course. No, I'll be standing <laughs> in the middle of a large I, crowd of I, people. I, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. Is this is this a tactic? Am I going to get arrested if I don't answer yes to this? Yeah. <laughs> Please stay where I, you I, are, I, citizen. Uh, <laughs> that was confirmation. I'll be home tomorrow between noon and two when we get our futon delivered. So that'll be so, great. Um, so you got a so you got a two hour window. I I get a new washer dryer coming on Monday. I get nine a.m. to nine p.m. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, well, I'll be here. Yeah. I mean, you you couldn't have picked a a better time to yeah. give me yeah. nine to nine a.m. But yeah, <laughs> twelve to two sounds nice right about now. <laughs> it's true. A twelve-hour window is like I don't know whether to be like uh, impressed or frustrated for you, or not. Uh, probably both. That's pretty but frustrating. Like, yeah. Even yeah. if you're going to be at home, a window that big for anything is uncomfortable. No. At that point, at that point, yeah, work yeah. stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that yeah. point, you're like, you know, you just got a lot of stress. Even if you have to go poop or something, you're like, ah. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, they could show up. You know, you, you really need yeah. it. I know we did that with the dishwasher uh, like two weeks ago, <laughs> and I, I want to say Lowe's kind of did the same thing to us. They're like, "Well, we'll be there Tuesday." I won't take a shower. And I, <laughs> we had to stand. Sh- we had just, shifts of like standing watch. Like, yeah, right. eat, <laughs> you're gonna be in the living room. Okay, I'll all eat right. cheese all day Monday. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's what you gotta do if you can't. You can't run shifts. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. So Tyrell, yeah, what I wanted to ask. Tyrell had a real um, question, right? I did. Yeah. yeah. Hold on. Let me shift. Apparently, my microphone's on my left here, not my right eye with these headphones. What I wanted to ask Evan was, so last night was our virtual meetup group, and I gave a presentation on GeoDjango, um, which was actually a lot of fun for me at the very least. And so by that metric, it was a success. I enjoyed myself. Hopefully, all those who attended enjoyed it. But Evan, I saw you nodding along with a lot of the kind of pain points I talked about in regards to geospatial data, mm-hmm. shape files, and things of that nature. So I wanted to, to talk to you about like what has been your experience. Obviously oh, you no. he saw he saw data. the look oh, on no, your no, face no, no. and now Tyrell he's like <laughs> no. tell me what happened. Yeah. It's no. a safe space. Uh, show well, us they, they, <laughs> they test you where I'll share <laughs> show us on the shape file. Show me on the dial. That's where we are. So so my current employment, um, I work for Nielsen now. So I support the Walmart team okay. um, within Nielsen here locally. Um, I actually can't talk about probably any of the nature of what I was dealing with with shape sure. files to you, unfortunately. Sure. Um, but I do understand your pain because it's a, I, I have the same pain 
dealing with shapefiles that I feel trying to understand why Rust optimizes away certain like loop variable optimizations in its intermediate runtime. There, there, there are obtuse specifications that are out there, and that shapefiles are probably in that class, along with like XML schema definitions. Yes. Um, mm. And it's yep. just like, no, no, thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know, I know it. You're, you're doing a good thing. Thank you. But let's just, let's not do that, maybe. Um, can, can we do this simpler? And like, so, you know, a lot of what GeoJSON does, a lot of, a lot of those are just a lot better, but you know, I mean, GeoJSON is complexity is needed. Yeah. And GeoJSON is extremely verbose by comparison. It doesn't pack yeah. down as nicely. And no. you saw that in that demo last night and we saw it, yeah. we've seen it in our own implementation and you're using something yeah. like Python and you're mm-hmm. trying to translate even whether, regardless of whether or not it's currently in a shape file or came from it or whatever, when you're trying to take it from any, you know, tabular format, um, and and well, let me just abstract it even further. If you just have a bunch of data and you need to format into that into structured JSON and Python, it's slow. Um, well, it's yeah, just doing string concatenation. Python virtual machine is yeah. a terrible choice it's, it's, for doing serialization. Exactly. I mean, and, and, yeah. Yeah, any any non-stackly typed languages is, is going to yeah, be that right. way. Yeah. Um, and yeah. so so for that reason. Um, but you know, I that I can't even use that as a justification for the existence of shapefiles, though, um, because shapefiles yeah. predate the yeah the, the no, world where non non statically typed languages weren't building applications at the time that Esri developed shapefiles. At that mm-hmm. point, right. Python was yeah. legitimately just a scripting language, and any other dynamically typed language probably was the same. Yeah, I mean, right. Was, I mean, like I mean, early nineties, mid nineties. I don't know when the shapefiles um, got made. No. Well, They've been around for a while. Yeah, and and it, I mean, Python at that point was still in the high performance computing environment. It was still, I mean, there, Python was around then. It For just, sure. I just mean that people weren't. It wasn't. It wasn't the data science NumPy SciPy pandas. Yeah, and it wasn't operationalized in the way that it is now. It was like I no. said. It it ran on a it ran on a server to move yeah. some stuff around, but it didn't actually like wasn't handling like the, the user input thread. Of, of an application stack the way it does now, right? Uh, or the way it can now, I should say. Geopackages blow my mind. Geopackages like, are cool. Yeah, that's just a SQLite database. A, a, mm-hmm. a geospatially aware one, which is cool. Yes. You, you could query them. Well, Tyrell might know this. You can't query them on disk, can you? Yep. Yeah, you can because it's SQLite. Yeah. It's okay. a SQLite. Yeah, you don't have to put it in memory to I, query it. Well, you can use- yeah, you can use OGR. That's and that's what we're doing. Like one of the things we're doing to generate field hashes, which is essential to the communication of like unique geospatial data within the app we're doing, is we'll generate a geo package and then we'll go into that geo package and query it for the the polygon coordinates of the the field that we're doing. Yeah. Uh, because they are geo packages, which means we can we can query them on disk. Instead of ingesting them into memory and saying for each one of these, hey, by the way, for each one of the, the polygons in this, generate a hash. And so we go through and generate a hash for every polygon within the geo package and save that back to the geo package as an additional field. Oh, and, and you're okay. and you're referencing fields um, 
And and that's literal fields. This is an agriculture application that you're referring to. Yeah, um, literal, fields. literal, oh, yeah. like not, like not farm property. fields. Yeah, yeah. Not, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um. So so I thought that was <laughs> worth noting. But yeah, so that that makes geopackages neat. They're they're like um. Oh, maybe this is accurate. I'm not sure. Uh, like parquet files in that regard. Um, if you've ever Ooh. messed with parquet, Ooh. no, don't, don't, no, 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 but, no. <laughs> okay, okay, no. Right. please no. Parquet <laughs> files, maybe not, maybe not the most exciting thing in the world to work with, but compared to like oh, a, great. No, a bunch of CSV no. files, like sitting on disk or something yeah. like that, the fact that you can leave them on disk and query them in place. And they're um, fast. And they're I mean, fast they for like fast. data analysis, you know, like, or even like um, working across network with them. I mean, like putting those things yeah. in like block storage, Amazon S3, and then being able to query them on disk from a distributed app is incredibly cool compared to like just a bunch of unstructured text data. Um, and, yeah. and, and in a way, that's kind of what geo packages end up doing. They're, they're that, uh, except they're geospatially queryable as well. Have you guys had to work with ORC at all? I have not. Okay. No. Okay. Bless y'all. Um, <laughs> I appreciate the dark places that Evan has. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, whatever it is, they called it orc. Um, so they weren't. <laughs> just not they weren't anticipating it being enjoyable. Uh, so I, I had a I, I had a project recently, and I, I had some I had some data extracts, and they needed to be in an ORC format, and we went through. Is this I a mean, GIS thing, or is this independent of GIS? No, no, no. This is just. Hadoop. Oh, okay. Got it. HDMS Ooh. stuff. Um, wait, man. wait, wait. Did you just say this is just Hadoop? Yeah, sorry. Just Hadoop. <laughs> just the first time that phrase has ever been noted. Just Hadoop. Uh, it's just big data that, you know, yeah. Yahoo and people query weblogs over. We yeah. just, I mean, we got bytes of data. Not a big deal. No big deal. It's just the map reduce. Just, just clusters of That's storage and compute. Optimized row <laughs> columnar. It's so it's in the same vein as uh, as Apache Arrow, right? Which is Parquet, um, which is kind of where that work is. You know, columnar data stores, um, right? File format for columnar data stores. Um, it, um, I think that's my daughter. The uh, the libraries for it are just there's like a single cli tool as an example to just kind of take a csv and turn it into an orc file but like the cli tool requires you to specify the schema of your csv file that then infer it from the headers you have on the file right God forbid like why would you disregard you know what i'm doing in the csv file just you know please read it and take my schema um yeah it no never again uh, like schemas are for to, nerds Evan, haven't you ever, haven't you ever MongoDB'd? <laughs> <laughs> or if you're local to here, Schema's for fans of tools. Uh, yeah. there, was a, there was a local band called Schema that it was a tool, tool cover. A tool cover band? Yeah. Uh, that's pretty tool, awesome. A tool non-cover cover band. They were pretty good. They sounded like tool. Scratch that itch. Back when tool was just like, well, tool and being like, hey, Waiting we'll 10, record an album days, every yeah. time. <laughs> let's, let's just record an album every 10 years. The yeah. was just like, hey, Once it's a been decade. five years. You want something that sounds like Tool? Cool, because here we are. They went further than that. They didn't record an album for 10 years. Then they did, and they said, we're going to tour, but we're only going to do small venues. This is like a, this is a stadium band that like <laughs> went and played at the Aftershock in Miriam, Kansas, next to the Ikea. So it was like, we haven't played in 10 years. We have 40 million fans that just cannot wait to go see a show. And every show we're going to play on the next tour after a decade is going to have a maximum capacity of like 85 people. Um, 
that fresh. I don't know if that frustrated anyone else when Tool came out on that tour, I, yeah. or if any of you actually got tickets to it. Uh, I didn't. I didn't, I didn't get to see him for like it was another like eight years after that before I saw him live. Casey and Allen are maximum Tool fans. Sorry if I dug you into the Tool fan. <laughs> Sorry, Evan. It's true. We're not up there. <laughs> I, knew they would, I knew they would get heated up if I brought up the the length it takes. To create an album. Yeah, that's true. I it, saw him twice this, this past year. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, mm. back to schemas. Yeah, good times. Schemas. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no. Well, and so you'll be like, oh, he doesn't like schemas. No, I love, and, and I am a huge like my my entire career you, with Microsoft SQL Server. So I'm. Are you sure you want to commit I'm, that to this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like. Yeah. Do I need to write I, down I, an edit again? So yeah, I I I think that um, I had not heard of of ORC, but that's another obscure Hadoop format. Yeah, right? another you, Apache you thing. Them up. Yeah, bespoke artisanal Hadoop format. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean, it you have to put on a leather when you when you write in it when you're. <laughs> When your like tools are, you know, especially for that problem, it was like, please spin up a Hadoop server so that you can convert file formats. I'm like, no, yeah, no, yeah, that seems no. a little much. Oh, man. That's a cloud yeah, tool. Yeah, what are you doing? Quit it. Yep. <laughs> I don't have time for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ask, ask your administrator for the keys to your cluster. Um, oh, even even worse, baked into the format too were like specifiers for this works within this cloud environment, and I'm like, no. We you mean like here. when you say cloud environment, you mean like GCP, like GCP Azure, or Azure? AWS is baked into the file format. I'm like, no, oh, no, that sounds wrong. That sounds no. wrong. I'm sure we someone had a reason. Play that game. I don't know if it was a good one, but someone had a reason. But that someone sounds had wrong. a reason. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure they'll be around forever, right? I mean, you know, just yeah. like everything else in the dot com bubble. But yeah, yeah, that provider will always be here, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. And that network will always be reliable. You know, the only one that I believe will be around forever is is Microsoft. The others, I think, are still have not proven. Um, yeah, Microsoft, you, you kind of have to admire their tenacity. They, I yeah, mean, I guess yeah. that's what you can do, though, when you kind of monopolize the market up front. You know? Yeah. I mean, especially just think, I mean, most of it is really just around resource delegation and AD. AD is their just... Yeah, that's how... Well, I mean, first it was Windows, right? First it was Windows, but but then right. after that, wow. like when that stopped being a bit, yeah, Active Directory, they have every company in the world um, mm. by the throat with that, um, yeah. except for you Indeed. know, smaller businesses have moved towards like G Suite, like we use it, um, yeah. but G Suite's never gonna come do any dent, or at least no, th- no from here, close. there's no visibility into any realistic world where G Suite comes in and is just like, hey, guess what? Berkshire Hathaway just moved all of their shit onto G Suite. I don't think that's no. going to happen. No. Um, no. Well, and it's, you know, Google built that, built G Suite to work on RBAC within their own environment. I, I haven't looked at any of their integrations into another's, right? But, like, the RBAC of Active Directory is just massive. I mean, you know, you can control log into Linux servers, you can you can really delegate the heck out of some our back being role based uh, access access yeah. control. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, AD enables all of that and there's open source AD. Don't get me wrong, but like nobody's going to run towards it. You know, no. everybody's going to keep that Microsoft cash cow pumping. Well, yeah. and then everybody wants you just to like, Hey, uh, 
signing in sucks. Can you just ingest our, our AD? Yeah. And give yeah. us access based on AD because we've built all everything of our, on AD. Literally no, everything else about, uses it. Yeah. Everything about our mm. company is based on AD. So if you can't ingest AD and do all that, then we don't want you. Yeah. That's like, I've, I've seen that question come up a lot. Like, oh, it's disgusting and terrifying, but it's the reality we live in. I was going to say, everybody's roles are, are there. Yeah. And single sign on is, is key these yeah. days. LDAP integration. Yeah. Especially. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I just got tired hearing that. <laughs> LDAP. And what's the other one? Um, Oh, uh, oh uh, Sam, uh, Samuel. Don't say Samuel. Oh, you're gonna yeah. say soap. Mm. Oh God. No, no, not soap. Oh, soap, soap. Please don't soap, soap me. No, we <laughs> we know about us. We nope to soap. We nope soap. Alan, Alan probably did our most recent soap API work. Yeah, three years ago with a Walmart yeah. API, maybe. Yeah, maybe, maybe I used a command line tool. It was fun. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. It was okay. a good. It was good XP. That's what I could say. I mean, so they've got the world by AD, but at the same time, you know, Azure is now beating um, AWS in revenues, um, which I found to be really surprising. They're they're making more money. That just means that they're better at charging for it. Um, yeah. Amazon's always been uh, not, I mean, AWS is super profitable for them. It's the only profitable corner of that business or was for a long time, the only profitable corner, but, um, you know, that's just, that's just Azure being able to sign big contracts that probably aren't even tied to actual resource consumption. Right. Yeah. Um, they're not billing. I mean, I'm sure that they do have a by the hour, by the minute model, but obviously that's not how Walmart buys its compute resources no. from Microsoft, right? Um, and w- whereas, uh, and at the enterprise side of AWS, same thing. Um, yeah. no, no one pays list price at that scale, obviously. Um, but but they, they've, they've managed to generate more revenue. They don't have as, I don't think they have as much compute, um, like ownership of the compute market as far as like actual, I don't think their electric bills is high, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Right. But yeah. but they're managing to make more more revenue out of it, so... That's, you know, good for them, I think, maybe. Yeah. Do, do either of you guys follow uh, Corey Quinn on Twitter? I do not. Oh, okay. Well, I follow no one on Twitter, though, for, for what yeah, it's worth. Oh, That's go. Yeah. I'm, he's, just a, he's I'm at, a Twitter he's letter. At Quinny, he's, he's at Quinny Pig. He gives some AWS hot takes pretty regularly. He calls himself a cloud economist. Yeah, um, I actually follow him. Yeah, he's he's pretty funny. Uh, yeah. I'm I'm interested in this concept of a cloud economist. Yeah, I know his his first tweet that's up was a retweet of a uh, WordPress architecture on AWS. I saw it yesterday, and I was like, "Holy cow!" I want to see that because no. I think WordPress. <laughs> no, <laughs> I think WordPress on AWS is such a funny thing. We've tried it. Yeah, uh, yeah. We picked up oh, a client that we moved see. their stuff to AWS, and it was just like, "Holy shit!" There's nothing. <laughs> there's nothing in the architecture of this application that's actually distributable. <laughs> like, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It's true. Okay, it expects all of its media to be on a local disk. All right, so that doesn't work. Uh, <laughs> I, I have not seen this, and it is beautiful, and this is epic. Court, so yeah, he's he's got uh, what's he's his, got that beautiful COVID mask on his on his uh, his icon. What, what's what's yeah, his uh, his his handle again? Corey Pig at Corey Pig. Oh. Quinnipig, Quinnipig, Q U I N N Y. Yeah. Like that COVID mask. 
Great Minds Think Alike there, Tyrell. I've seen that on your uh, I've seen that on your Google icon. Yeah, I, I have. Uh, yeah, I've got that mask on mine. Plus, I probably retweeted him from my personal account. He's one of a handful of people I follow from Amazon. Yeah, he does run a podcast. Uh, it's uh, Screaming in the Cloud. I have listened to a couple episodes of it. He gets some really high profile names on his show. Yeah, um, so I think talk through some things, but I think yeah. well, this is where I'll I'll kind of like sound like a, a random old guy, but I think he's only been with Amazon the last like four or five years, maybe. I forget where he was before Amazon. Um, but yeah, he, he's definitely like kind of dived into the fact that he he's at Amazon and, and been producing some quality con- content around that, for sure. Yeah, he just, I think he runs his own little consultancy called Duck Builder, is what he does. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah. So this this architecture relies on EFS so that you yeah. can have so that you can have consistent <laughs> state. Paying, yeah. yeah, you just pay in <laughs> ten times as much for storage because the architecture so the architecture has not evolved past like here's how you run this on your on your Dell that's sitting under your desk. Uh, the the thing that was mentioned a lot about it too is like there's like three or four internet NAT gateways hiding in the thing. I see the NAT gateways. Like, mm. Yeah, all they're your egress costs. You know, every oh, single God, one of they, those. They do get expensive or triple because yeah. that's the only way to do. That's the only way to do publicly accessible instances that the machine itself is in a private subnet. Um, exactly. We've done those architectures yeah. before, but it does add to the cost. Yeah. The NAT gateways it's end up being about as expensive as a load balancer does. Yep. Um, and so for this hypothetical ser- setup, he's got way more cost in front of that WordPress instance than the WordPress instance itself. Like yeah. in theory, depending on maybe if you scale that thing up, really big. Yeah. I don't know. If you're big yeah, he didn't. He didn't write that architecture diagram. Sure, sure, sure. That's, that's the suggested architecture. That's the, diagram this is the Amazon brand AWS's yeah. website. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just to be clear, realizing like this isn't a troll. This is the official documentation. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's I, is, I love it. I wouldn't trust it either. You know, obviously the official documentation is like, oh yeah, you're gonna need like fourteen uh, availability zones. You yeah. need to you need to deploy this same architecture, one in every region with VPC peering between them, so you can do hot rollovers. You know, that way if the if the if the mountain time zone wait well, actually I don't think they they don't have a data center mountain time zone. If the no. if the east coast gets knocked off, you got to have some stuff over on the west side. Um, you got. You need a. You need one. If you have any users in France or in Germany, you have to direct them to the the EU German stack, German data laws. Can't leave German soil. You gotta have your own German EFS in there. Um, Man, that's yeah. just madness to me. Mm-mm-mm. I well, you know, it, I mean, yes, but also like there are r- yeah, running yeah, WordPress is madness to me. Just. Full stop. So, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know, uh, you, you become accustomed to the, to the pain if you're like invested enough into WordPress that you're going like, what's the best way to do this on AWS? Like you're, you're yeah, you're that's what I can't <laughs> figure out. How can who, I make this hammer a screwdriver? Yeah, God, when, from, who are these people? Shared hosting. Yeah, who are these people that like have both of those ideas? It's like, let's build this on WordPress, and also I'm aware of what AWS is. Um, that's that's crazy. Although, like I said, we tried to do it, and you know what we told that client? We moved it to AWS, and we're like, yeah, no, just go pay for one of those stupid WordPress hosts. Yeah, uh, they'll do it. They'll do this stupid thing better, and um, this is not made to scale the right way. I'm sure people have figured out ways to make it work, but 
doing it in any sort of traditional cloud architecture, not not a good idea. We don't even know how this thing works now. <laughs> if we disappear, you guys are screwed. So we yeah. we moved them off. We moved them onto WordPress engine, WP engine, it's, which it's is way like better for like, that. I, the, the way I do it is like you walk into a butcher shop and their first suggestion to you is like, you should buy this rack of prime rib. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't know if you have anything to cook it or yeah. anything else. Yeah. But here's, here's the best meat you could buy. <laughs> oh man. Pretty funny. All right. Yeah. I don't, like I said, I don't follow people on Twitter, but I do poke, I do specifically seek stuff out. It's not that I don't use yeah, it. I the funny stuff. I just, right? yeah, yeah, exactly. I love, I, I love me some good novelty social media. Um, so I'll put it on my list. So not that that was necessarily novelty. You get what I'm saying. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Amusing things. Mm-hmm. 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 Entertainment. Mm. That's what this show is about. Guys, I got to brag on Willow. Um, she has set up a full CI pipeline, top to bottom, front end and back end image building, deployed to Kubernetes through CI in like Whoa. a day. Um, nice. yeah, yeah, it's, uh, it's pretty impressive. Um, so that's Circle fun. and Python? Circle, Python, Vue. Oh, um, okay. yeah, so there's some Webpack in there. So she was the one who was curious about functional. She was. Yeah, she and today's like, actually her legit real birthday. And so yeah. she had oh, wow. she she could not make it for the podcast today. Um, oh, but funny. I told her that you would probably come here to encourage her. Am I right? Would yeah, you encourage I would. you would encourage Absolutely. people to go explore functional programming? Yeah, well, you know, I think you should be functional curious. I think it's a good thing. <laughs> I think it's helpful. <laughs> I think it's good. Should you uh, write it just ain't right. It just ain't right. Uh, <laughs> I was, that was my Arkansas impression there. Uh, <laughs> to be clear, I don't, I don't believe that. Uh, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's good though. Like, um, there's actually a really good, probably example of of good functional programming, but it's writing a parser. You know, that's that's things that it's really good for. Um, and I could I could send it your way. It's on, that's what uh, makes it a great compiler tool. Abstract yeah. you know, syntax yeah. trees, yeah. right? Yeah, I mean, there's just a great set of problems that do that. And you know, you talk about you know, oh, we do string manipulation for a living. Well, you know, if you have safe structures in which to do string manipulation, guess what? It works out really well for you and your business to have stuff that's really stable and functional like that. So you're saying um, that I should do geojson serialization in Haskell. <laughs> if you're a masochist, yeah, yes, that's right. yeah, I agree. Uh, Blake yeah. would agree with you too. Oh man! Uh, <laughs> or no, no, he'd say do it in Rust. Yeah, well, Blake could watch you do it in Rust. He and he'd have an argument there. Then I'd say, okay, now we're talking. Now you can, now you can do maybe some unsafe access if you need to, to actually optimize that. Because that's the that's kind of the critical point. Um, you know, Rust is really bridging a light functional systems programming language and what C is really, really well right now. And it's filling the holes for a lot of people out there who've been writing firmware and hardware for a long time. And uh, See, I like this I, description of light functional. I haven't yeah, heard that yeah. before. I didn't know that mm. there was an Episcopalian option for functional. <laughs> 
yeah. There's a, there's a, you have, you have read category theory for programmers and then there's, you know, Hey, I understand that a maybe type is a good thing. I understand that being explicit about errors, that's a useful thing. Right. Um, I think that wrapping state and side effects up in types that have where nice clean edges on them is a good thing. That's kind of why, like uh, when we started out and talking about Austin, I was like, I, I'm pretty sure Austin would be a guy that would appreciate this. Cause there's a lot of things that are like Zen about it that are very nice and explicit that there's a place for that. And there's also a place for when you just want to go free run and write some Python and get, get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And that's okay. That's, that's fine. We've been known to dabble in getting stuff done. And that, yeah. that may be why we, why we enjoy it so much. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I've mentioned, I don't know how many times, how many episodes have ended with me saying like, you know, I think I'm going to go try Rust. You guys are all talking about it. Quite a few. Everybody's okay. this is this is at least so the 10th time. I still have a little world it. under your belt. The problem is you so, guys have all scared me about this book. Um, okay. I mean, it's, it's the book in a good way. It's, it's pretty, pretty the good, book. good documentation. Okay. Yeah. 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 <laughs> You know, but that's just their their docs. They call it the book. I've just heard it was just a massive tome, uh, essentially, to get through to get started, right? It is. And it's got some new paradigms in there. See, uh, yeah, to to be clear, I'm not scared of the concepts or the having to learn stuff. It just seems like a really big time commitment. That's what's held Mm. me back from it. Um, But one of these days, I'm going to do that that, so that I have something better to say about Rust than like, oh, I should try it. Uh. So, so I'll give you an example. I, I even had this in my job, and I can share this because it was just so frankly simple that it's, it was just great for the job. Um, I wanted a tool that I wanted to send to my folks on my team who run Windows. And one thing that they don't have is a tool to let them convert CSV files to pipe-separated value files mm-hmm. where they replace the commas with pipes, right? So any Unix guy out there, you're just going to be like, well, I'll just pull up TR and replace all the commas with pipes, right? right and then right. you'll... Then you'll hit the quoting and qualifying road bump and go, oops. And then, oh, wait, this person has no idea what bash is. They don't have it installed on their computer. They don't mm-hmm. know how to use TR. Like, that, that's not good. So you think, okay, well, maybe I'll go Python. And you write a Python script. And now and you, you get to, the, yeah. the, the fun of distributing Python to all your workers. So you're like, uh, say, which, no. which version of Python are you running? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, and I've got a dependency. You need a virtual M. Yeah, you need a virtual yeah. M. you got to pick install. <laughs> yeah. And then you and then you start playing around with Py installer, right? Because you want to make it a single executable, mm. and that's but and that, that doesn't work well. with pandas, and that's how you're reading the CSV. No. Yeah, because right? <laughs> <laughs> you thought pandas was necessary for I'm the just CSV. like, well, fuck it. I, I mean, it's like a lot easier syntax to just use pandas. Uh, I'll just install <laughs> rather than the the built-in standard library. I've done this. I have read a CSV not to actually use pandas, just to read it and parse it, and, and just to iterate yeah. over it using the pandas because yeah. the interface is so much better. Yeah, CSV Dict Reader is a wonderful tool. I mean, I, I yeah. would encourage anyone who's yeah. not familiar with the standard library, like, yes, it's cool, but there's Python way more. Leads, like, like uh, I'll, pandas.readcsv gives you all of that benefits. Columnar, you can sort it, yeah. access it by by the headers itself, without the verboseness of setting up a Dict Reader where you have to like configure it. Um, yeah. But uh, but yeah, so yeah, so Python not an option yep. for there, but Rust is and for you. And, and then you go there and, you know, you, you try Python, you got maybe a two gigabit CSV file, right? And you start to realize, wait, man, Python's choking. Like there's a lot of serialization and deserialization that's happening. You know, you probably oh, don't have there. the performance chops to understand that 
that's really where the slowness is, is the Python VM interpreting those mm-hmm. lines. So, you know, then your next step is, okay, I want to compile it. Okay, what are you going to use to compile it? And then you use distributors, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, on Windows, your choices are C++, C Sharp, or maybe F Sharp, right? And, and distributing a .NET runtime. Uh, nah, not going to worry about that. And so you just think, okay, can I compile a static binary in Rust that targets Windows? Yes. Do it and go. Yep. Good to go. Yeah, yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Well, and, I mean, and I'll, do it and go. Yeah, that's, that's what we what, have historically used Go not, for. The exact same go? thing. Why yeah. not Go instead of Rust? Garbage collection. Touche. It's the easy answer, yeah. Garbage collection's nice. Yeah. itself is a valid argument. And it depends on what you're doing. Like, because there was, I forget who it was, was talking about that they had switched their Go services. Yes, to, to yeah. Rust services. Um, because, like, Go has, I forget what the interval was on the garbage collection, but it's like just an interval. I think it was a two hour garbage collection or yeah. maybe two minute garbage well, collection interval. Yeah, yeah I want right. say it was like two minutes. Something the, like that. And Rust is really upfront about being like, very uh very performant garbage yeah for its garbage collection like that's one of the things they say it's basically like this is why us overgo because of garbage collection and and to be fair there's a really good post that steve kladnick who who writes the rust book um actually gives on understanding if rust is actually a language with a garbage collector or not because that's a that's a thing that can be really confusing if you come from this world you don't necessarily understand that when you're dealing with Rust on as low a level as it can go and its ability to freely swap and move, there are a lot of optimizations that the language can take that almost eliminate the need for a garbage collector at all. Basically just turn it into really efficient data structures that, that can solve the same task. Um, and so what that's you're saying like, is, go ahead. I was going to say, so what you're saying is Rust is the David Blaine of functional yeah. programming. <laughs> yeah, but it takes all that time to learn the yeah. learn the hand yeah. motion. It's, still your mind. it's just like I don't know if it garbage collected or if it didn't. I don't care. That was amazing. I didn't know yeah. I could levitate. And uh, that's that's the learning curve I would say on on Rust is being yeah. able to write good Rust code like that to get to the I'm point. Sure. You know, because it's got weird syntax that does stuff like that. Like you're 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 declaring like this thing will be here in memory, and then this. You know, it'll exist here in memory, and it's it's very specific. And so, you know, there's definitely a learning curve on it. Where uh, Go, I would say, definitely has less of a learning curve. Yeah, absolutely. No, and and made for converting Google Python programmers into Go programmers. I mean, yeah, that's what it was really good at. Instead of turning yeah. the C programmers, no, that's, that's, frankly, that's, that was that's too a, expensive for Google. Worked on us. That's a very fair point. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Google was really heavy in Python until it became inefficient, for sure. Yeah, a lot of people don't know. Docker was written in Python at the start. That I didn't know. True story. (laughs) True story. Docker started as Python. Very true. Yeah, that's a part of what didn't make it real far, did it? (laughs) No, No, that's why. That's why Google got bought Go. Yeah, uh, to kind of uh, overcome the inefficiencies of Python. Yeah. It's, I guess in the a, beginning, you know, I, I say bot. I don't know that it was technically like a purchasing transaction. They made a significant idea. contribution to the open source Correct. community. Correct. And most Correct. of their Correct. core developers were purchased. Yeah, I was going to say, yeah. a that. significant con- contribution of money in exchange yeah. for all of the 
<laughs> in exchange that, for all of the, of the valuable assets, which sounds right. a lot like buying it to me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and that kind of brings us right back around to Luke Plant and Elm, because it's kind of yeah. the same thing he's saying there, which is, you know, no reading basically bought the main developer for Elm. Hey, and, man, and, and I can't argue there. That's a, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Kevin, go ahead. No, 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 that's it. No, you're good. Go ahead. So, so someone who's a, 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 a very Elm curious person. The hesitation I have, especially having gone to Elm Comp last year, was it's just like, man, there's a lot of Elm concentration and no red ink. Like that's where it's at. That's where all the active stuff's going on. And like, that is a little alarming for me. Yeah. Just like, I, I, I appreciate that somebody's kind and, of taking it on. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, you're right there. It's not as distributed. It's a, and, it's and a risk, right? You'd want to see. It's, and that's the very healthy thing that Luke was pointing out, I think, in his post that, that was kind of bubbling up out of it was Django Software, uh, Django Software Foundation, Python Software Foundation, Code of Conducts, Terms for Contributing, how we license, how we contribute, um, how we govern open source communities. You know, he's indicating a need that, hey, the BDFL model is going gonna, is gonna to have trouble as this scales up. Right. And so as someone that's Elm curious, you know, you can come into something and if you're hitting walls because it's a walled garden for someone else, you're inhibiting the growth of that language. And and that's something that he's putting it up against is saying, hey, you know, we have better models for how to do that. in The rest of the community, we've evolved from Guido being, you know, the sole owner of Python. There's there's better ways to, to handle that. Only very recently. <laughs> But very recently. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's very fair too. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. I mean, Only very we're recently. All figuring but, this out. But I mean, yeah. like, it's kind of interesting, right? Because Django did that long before Python itself did. Right. And not just Django, the other frameworks. I mean, it's definitely been Pyramids. the. Yeah. yeah I, well, and, and just generally, uh, uh, you know, Node, like, uh, like lots of Rails as well. Lots the framework communities like that side of open source have definitely been on the front lines of that sort of progress as opposed to the languages themselves, which have yep. been around for a lot longer and, and have a lot more entrenched sort of processes for how the language itself is governed. And then like you just had this rapid stuff with with the actual frameworks um, and the community driven aspect of it in which people came up with different ways to govern I don't even know how to quite to articulate it. It's just a different style of open source. ViewConf is a very different thing than like the or not ViewConf isn't a good way to describe it, but like just going hanging out and views GitHub, right? Um, and looking at pull requests and the community around the maintainer of it is very different than the maintenance community around a language typically. Yeah. Um, it's yeah. just there's just a lot. It's it's faster moving. It's just a um, I feel like a lot more philosophical to certain extents, like less, um, you know, people spend a lot of time just really kind of abstractly thinking about frameworks and community and the people it's, it's yeah. be, it becomes more about like the people who are going to use it more than the tool itself. Whereas like the languages tend to be a lot more utilitarian, I guess yeah. I'm, I realize that I'm totally like giving my own subjective spin on that, but that's how I've always kind of felt about it. Um, but that's, um, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty interesting. Um, hopefully, hopefully, hopefully it's not a permanent rift in the, in the Elm community. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Sorry. So anyways, we wrote it and it was just a single static executable. You drop a CSV file on it, same directory, you get a pipe separated value file. 
you get a progress bar, pops up a little command window. You can see how far along you are. Totally good done. Works. Done deal. All right. Well, so that's, that's good enough for me. Use it where we use go. Um, might yeah. be a good way to describe maybe. it. Maybe, yeah. Maybe. I mean, it's got some advantages, right? But the, but, yeah. but, but broadly, those applications might be somewhere. One of my favorite things about Go, bundled up, email it over, drop it in Slack, someone can run it. Like, d- dis- yeah. distribution is dead simple. Um, Static binary. Yeah, yep. exactly. Mm-hmm. Well, Evan, thanks for coming hang with us, man. Yeah. Um, Glad to be here. Yeah, I, I, uh, I enjoyed it. Uh, yeah. You're welcome, welcome back anytime to come talk trash with this crew. Um, <laughs> anybody have any closing thoughts? Evan, we've been asking everybody work from home tips. Um, cause that's helpful. You got a, you got a closing work from home tip. Anything? Definitely the daily standups with your team. That's been, we had that before as we transitioned from out of off or in office to out of office. Okay. Those up. That's just important. Have your video on. Oh yeah. It. Yeah. Collaborate. Emote with other people. It makes a big difference. And if you need yeah. to, if you oh, need yeah. to break the ice with turning the video on, if that's uncomfortable, go to pexels.com like I did and just get a ridiculous, <laughs> get a ridiculous background. And Alan's got a D and D one going behind him. Yeah. yeah exactly. I see Wizards every, every character class is behind Alan. Uh, yep. There's, there's one of each in there. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've got a birthday parade to go hop into. So I will right. talk to you all later. That sounds yeah, good. Parade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. We're out of here too. We'll see the audience later yeah. as well. I'll see you guys. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Friday Afternoon Deploy, recorded and produced by the team at Lofty Labs. If you enjoyed the show, you can subscribe to future episodes via iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. You can also follow at Friday Deploy on Facebook and Twitter for episode previews, live streams, and other behind-the-scenes peaks. Past episodes and show notes on this episode can be found at friday.hirelofty.com. That's friday.h-i-r-e-l-o-f-t-y.com. If you'd like to contact the show, or if you're local to the Northwest Arkansas area and would like to be a guest on the show, you can email us at podcast at higherlofty.com.